This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Corey, you want to add to that? Oh, I could. You can that's, that's how you start off. You say one <laughs> sentence. That's how you start off. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep that. That's the, <laughs> All right. Now I know. All right. That was. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, that was brought to you by yeah, Sports she's and Ortho. <laughs> Visit the website. Google it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Take two. This this episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Uh, today with us is Dahlia Fami from Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, Dahlia. Um, so I was looking over. You guys have some cool stuff you're working with over there. Um, what kind of equipment do you guys use at Sports and Ortho that's different than the other places? Well, you know, I figured if I'm going to rehab some firefighters and police officers, we better have things that they use. So we actually have drag dummies. We've got stretchers. I've got my own fire engine on the south side. We've got some ladders and some hoses and um, a couple of punching bags. Yeah. So you hear that, Vince? They've even got a couple of Steve <laughs> over there. Oh, I can't, I can't say his last name. Uh, <laughs> they've we'll got a couple of Steves over we got there. a couple of Steves. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, and looking over, like, your your staff over there is trained incredibly. Yeah, we, like, really, really highly train our staff to know how the body moves in motion. So we just, you know, spend a lot of money training them, making sure that they're well-trained to take care of all the patients that we have, but especially those fire and police officers that we treat. Well, Dahlia, I know that uh, you guys have been around for 17 years, and we talked at you got your start with your first actual patient was a Chicago fireman. Yeah. You know, we want to uh, let everybody know that if you come to sports and ortho physical therapy, that is, it is covered by our city program for rehabilitation. Absolutely. Yep. We'd love to have everybody come see us. Awesome. Dal, you guys have seven locations. Uh, where can people find you guys at? Well, they can look us up at sportsandortho.net. All our locations are listed there. That's probably the best way to find us. Go check out Dahlia over there, um, sportsandortho.net. In one, engine four, truck two, truck ten, ambulance 82, battalion two, fire 1020 North Main, help is on the way. All right, welcome back to Chicago's Bravest Stories, everybody. Uh, I am here with Vince. Hello. And Corey. I'm back. And we are also here with country music superstar <laughs> and internet sensation, Billy Croft of the Naperville Fire Department. Billy, how you doing? I hate you guys for bringing that up. I really do. Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we, we definitely don't want you to get too comfortable. Because <laughs> things like, yeah. oh, what a pleasant, what a pleasant experience. Yeah, things are gonna <laughs> things are gonna get weird for a little bit here. So, uh, Billy, how was your ride in? Oh, it was good, non-eventful. Uh, about an hour and ten minutes, uh, no traffic, Oof. so it was good. Dang, yeah. Thanks for coming out, Bill. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. And, and then you showed up, and it was here. Yes, like, it, oh. this is a beautiful place, man. I, I this uh. is. 
it's, hey, it's really some... professional. I like it. <laughs> you know how firemen are. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, so. come on in for my podcast. I, I got a shed. Right. You know? <laughs> well, What's this is motorcycle doing over there. Yeah, yeah this is all Vince is doing here. He's a creative genius behind uh, most of what we're doing here today. So, thank you, Steve. <laughs> thank you. So, Billy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where you're at right now with uh, the Naperville Fire Department? Uh, well, Naperville Fire Department been on 26 years with the department. Um, I'm super involved with the department, uh, TRT team been on that for, I don't know, 20 years or so, uh, did a stint on the, uh, Thames team, uh, really involved in the training aspect, uh, training academies, all the new hires that come on. And, uh, for a two year stint, I was the EMS training assistant, uh, which was, uh, a shock to my system because I had to go to days after 24 years oh, of shift work. Oh. So that sucked really bad, but oh, yeah. uh, I learned a lot of stuff with that. So it was it was a good opportunity for me. Are you you side job guy? Uh, I do. I uh, my hobbies, I guess, is playing music. You guys kind of mentioned that in yeah, in the beginning. I've been doing it. that for a long time, uh, playing with my band uh, in the Chicagoland area. And uh, it's been uh, it's it's been really great. I paint also, uh, you know, trades guy. So there you go. Yeah. So that so the two years of days kind of hurt. It did. hurt your side job a little oh bit. Oh my gosh, that's that's <laughs> always a big knock when guys get sent to the bureau or doing something on days yeah. training division, whatever it may be. Totally. They're like oh, but my side job. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> but but. But, but what about this one? I mean, you know, this one's important too. Billy, did you get any work uh, when you were doing the Thames? Uh, no, not really. Yeah. Um, you know, right uh, as I I got on, uh, they had the Henry Pratt incident in Aurora. Oh, okay. Uh, so our Thames team was involved, but I was still on probation at that time with the team. Uh, did not get deployed. But I was uh, saying you just you were just sitting there ready to rock and roll. And uh, just... Yeah. So um, we have a great great Thames team. The police department is fantastic. Uh, it was a great experience. Um, I since retired from from the Thames team to really focus in on ACR advanced cardiac resuscitation. Okay, uh, let's real quick. How did it work out with with Naperville and the police department, Naperville Fire, Naperville Police, um, being on that tactical tactical EMS team, Thames? How did that all come into play? Was it? Did you guys were you accepted with open arms by the police, or were the police like, wait a second? We can do this. We don't need those guys. How, how did that all work out? What were the logistics behind that, if you're familiar? Well, I, you know, our police department and the fire department, we have a great working relationship with, with each other. Uh, I think it was, it was rather easy. They're open-minded to uh, saving more lives, and having us be a part of that, um, was they, they got it quickly. They got it quickly. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they, if you guys, uh, obviously we're, you know, we're all in the public sector or public safety uh, um, mindset, but like, it's nice you guys having that relationship and just having that. Cause, cause again, our goals are all the same when it comes down totally. to it. So um, can I bring you back way back and kind of, kind of let us know how you got started in the whole, in firefighting and in this whole service in general. How'd you grow up? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in St. Charles, okay. Illinois, out in the suburbs, and I, I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be a fireman. You know, um, I went to uh, high school, St. Charles, graduated in 89, and 
re- I did a stint like a semester in college. Thought mm-hmm. I wanted to be a pro football player, but mm-hmm. that did not work out because I'm short. How was that class? And slow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Barry uh, Sanders was like five foot five or something. Like yeah? That. Yeah. yeah, but he had talent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I was kind of in that spot where what do I do? Right. You know, and. Uh, which is more um, often than I think not when we yeah. talk to our guys, you know? Yeah, I, kn- I knew I wanted to serve in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings meaning to people's life, I think, when you serve uh, in that regard. And uh, I remember going to see my mom at work, and she works in Geneva, Illinois, mm-hmm. and right across the street was the fire department, Geneva Fire Department. I saw them pull out uh, with their lights on, and I go, yeah, that looks cool. <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I put myself through paramedic school. On okay. my own. Where'd you go to paramedic school? Uh, Delmore Hospital. Okay. Yep. It was back then. It was only a thousand dollars to go to paramedic school. How long was paramedic school at that time? Uh, it was two years actually. Oh wow. Yes, it was two years. Um, you know, but just that's including EMT or just two years of paramedic. Just paramedic school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's long, huh? Yeah. It was long, but it was, you know, you must, you must know a lot of paramedics. <laughs> <laughs> it was like two nights a week and you know, you did it at night and uh, it was uh, I'll never drop my paramedic because I I pay for it myself. Right. right. You know? Yeah. And well, there uh, are definitely we can I can already tell there are definitely there's there's four paramedic licenses at the table. <laughs> there are two real paramedics. <laughs> <laughs> out of the four. And neither one and of by them the are. end of this podcast, you will all figure out who those two <laughs> are. So I'm so happy you explained what Thames means. So <laughs> when um so when you went through um so you just kind of again you just kind of stumbled into it um you did you end up working for anywhere um before Naperville or was Naperville kind of your first jump in a no it wasn't I uh, started out as an EMT basic back when they had basics mm-hmm. uh, I worked as a uh, I, I, I don't know if it was a contract, but I worked with the Elburn uh, Fire Protection District. They, okay. Their setup was they had EMS separate than fire. And I got some experience doing that. And then um, I lived in St. Charles, and I applied to be a POC firefighter in St. Charles. Okay. And I worked two years there as a POC. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you, you had some, some working knowledge going into going into your career, right? I uh, mean. A little bit, yeah. Uh, and then I got uh, hired with AMR okay. uh, as a contract medic for the Itasca Fire Department. And I worked there for three months, and then I got hired in Naperville. Naperville was my third test I took and got wow. hired. So uh, why don't you talk to us about the testing process that you went through? I mean, you've had 26 years on the job. It's probably completely different than what kids who aren't on the job yet, maybe listening to this podcast, what they're going through, but uh, maybe we can compare the two. So what was it like for you going through the the testing process and then eventually the academy? Yeah, when I went to the orientation for Naperville, I think there was like 600 people wanting to get hired. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm not going to get hired. Right. There's so many people there. Um, but, I, you know, I stuck with it and went through it. And, you know, they had the physical agility where I think they just made it up as they, they went. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hang from this bar as long as you can. And, like, <laughs> well, what does this prove? Yeah. Well, how, how long? Uh, we'll let you know. Yeah, we'll let you know. <laughs> um, you know, being an athlete all my life, playing football, 
Uh, that part was pretty easy for yeah, me to say, do. I was the physical probably was yeah. as much an issue. Um, but the, you know, the test that you had to take, the psychological testing, it was, uh, that was weird. You know, uh, would you ever drink b- blood? Uh, no. That was a test mm-hmm. question? That was. You know. Well, um, what was your answer? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I was a vampire, maybe. <laughs> What's the right yeah, answer? They, it definitely, it definitely seems like you uh, want to say no, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> right, but I mean, but they frame I, it in a way: if you were dying of thirst, right. would you drink blood? Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, they said ever, <laughs> ever. Does it have vodka in it? Would it be a bloody mary at that point? Right, it, I mean, if it has I, like bacon and like a cheeseburger, then maybe I can kind of. Um, yeah, I mean, again, those those psych. We we actually just um, we're whatever it's it's something that we're we're working on but like they actually make us take a psychological uh profile test every promotion you get and same thing like it's you'll have like the test and you're like oh okay and here's a psychological test which is 500 questions it's pretty much four questions just phrased 500 different ways you took a psych before you got promoted yeah how the fuck did you pass it's the best part is that if i don't pass i did pass one when i got hired so like (laughs) It had to have happened here, right? I mean, <laughs> but I'm um, here. Here you go, right. Pet so, board. Yeah, How's okay. it going? Let me fail. I'd love to go out on a duty disability for my promotion. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely a weird mindset. Again, for for guys like us, they're just like trying to. We're in such a mindset with testing where you're like, okay, just got to get it done, and then you get to that, and you're like. Oh my God! It asked me if I, you know, if if I find my grandmother attractive seven different ways, and like I don't want to say yes by mistake. One, one. <laughs> <laughs> so not uh, grandma traits. So in, in, so we're in certain <laughs> light though. I mean, yeah. She's all right. She's, she's not bad. Yeah, no, no. And we've officially gone to weird. Uh, well, you know, it's early. She's a hard seven. <laughs> she's, she's, she's a, a hard, hard seven. Firehouse seven. Yeah, firehouse firehouse seven. Hey, if you're going to drink blood, your grandma, come on. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's a stretch. Right. Come on. Right. Exactly. Right. We better get on track. Yeah. We all better right. get so, back on track. Um, so, yeah, so you went through that testing, and, and um, I mean, somewhat somewhat difficult but you made it through how'd you how'd you end up placing it i placed 20th on the list okay and we hired 14 our academy was pretty big oh wow uh, we were expanding uh a lot yeah and uh yeah it was uh i was ecstatic when i got hired and uh it yeah it's changed my life yeah for sure. did um how many guys are on the naperville fire department uh we have 187 sworn wow 10 stations, and yeah, I think uh, 55 you score have 10 miles. 10 stations at Naperville? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, bro, keep up. I, I did not know that. Yeah. They got yeah. everything. They got high rise. They got, uh-huh. you name it, they got it over there. If you Expressway. drive west, the only, the only two real fire departments out there are what, Naperville and Aurora? Is that what Chuck, right. Chuck said? <laughs> Chuck said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it, uh, how did, I guess, to, to kind of like, bring everyone up to speed like what does naperville look like you said it has 10 stations guys work um full-time career every member there right there's no ambulance service or anything nope. like that you guys do it all right yep we're okay. we uh 24 48s you know three shifts uh every you have to be a paramedic to be hired in awesome. naperville all of our rigs are als equipped and yeah we uh it's it's a it's a great city 55 square miles uh, predominantly, you know, we're, we're an EMS department that runs an occasional fire, you know, <laughs> 85% of yeah, our calls are EMS, right? Yeah. Um, 
but we have everything from hazmat team to TRT Thames. Uh, we're we're a real progressive department. Yeah, yeah every you know, uh, oftentimes in Illinois, you'll hear of uh, some pretty prog- progressive EMS departments in Naperville is definitely one of the top ones that you you'll see them regularly. Uh, oh, we're trying out this new thing, and um, the uh, when you were going through, did Naperville have its own in-house fire academy, or did you guys go somewhere else for it? Or yeah, we host our own. Okay, uh, we have a training bureau. That's awesome. uh, Training division, which was which was great. Um, that way, we can, you know, kind of hone them in. Yeah. The way we want to. Um, if we have one-offs, you know, if we have a retirement, then we'll send them out to an academy. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, we try to do all that in-house. So to, to this day, you guys still have your own in-house academy. Yes. That's pretty sweet. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes we'll, we'll open that academy to Warrenville and the surrounding departments. Yeah, absolutely. give them an opportunity to come. How in. big is your training division? Uh, we have uh, a division chief of training, Tom Moran. And then we have a training lieutenant. Uh, Al Katona right now is our training lieutenant. And then we solicit out to the department who wants to be involved in the training department. And uh, we have we have a lot of subject matter experts in, in certain areas that come out and we'll, we'll teach. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, do you guys, so after you got through the academy, how was the academy for you? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. I got in a lot of trouble um, <laughs> because that's just what I do. Yeah. And uh, so young, young maniac Billy oh. run through uh, run yeah. through Naperville, just just doing his own thing with oh, his guitar, totally. breaking hearts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, at the time, I didn't know I was a musician, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, we we had a lot of fun, and uh, it's been a great experience for me. Yeah. You still close with any of those guys? Oh or? yeah. Yeah. Super close. That's uh, awesome. We still got five. Five members still active from my academy. Of that crew. Yeah, of that crew. And, uh, yeah, so. Awesome. Good. So um, you get out of the academy. What's, um, how does Naperville treat you guys? Do you guys end up uh, landing on ambulance right away, or where do you guys kind of get placed in the pecking order? So back in, in the day, we had 18 months probation. Okay. Which is long. Yeah. Super long. Now it's only a year. It's a lot of time to get in trouble with no oh, help. Totally. Totally. A lot of times. And I can probably tell you i have a rap sheet that's pretty long <laughs> of, of all the things i did wrong but uh yeah 18 months and uh you know during that 18 months it was it was hard it was sketchy it was, you know <laughs> the guys will you had to bite your tongue for 18 months yeah huh? you know how it is it's, <laughs> you know you got to pay your dues and yeah. you know mop the floors take out the garbage be the last one to sit down to eat and mm-hmm. you know all, all those things uh keep your head down and uh keep your ears open um, but these guys still keep me on probation. Yeah. It's been two years. I'm still on probation here. Yeah. I, I get it. Well, you're I on keep probation until you get replaced by somebody else. I didn't mean nothing by it. <laughs> keep stay, it up. You stay the fuck away, Nick Felber. <laughs> uh, well, Billy, I heard a, yeah. I heard a rumor that Naperville, before they go into residence on EMS runs or something like that, they put booties on. No. Have you heard that? that no, from you guys? that doesn't happen. Fake no. news, Vince. That's yeah, totally way to go. Fans. Well, that's why I'm asking the source. I'm right. going straight to the source. So we their don't. booties weren't even around 26 years ago. That's so. right. <laughs> we don't have cappuccino machines in the firehouse. No, that, uh, that, that, so. that actually they we might, have. They, <laughs> might, they might at certain departments. <laughs> um, no, okay, so um, what does, uh, yeah, so where did you end up getting placed when you got out? 
Uh, initially, I went to Station One, which is a, a truck company. Okay. Uh, it was it was one of our considered one of our bigger houses. We had an ambulance, an engine, and a truck company out of that house, which is downtown Naperville. Okay. Um, I was initially placed on the engine, but you know I saw the truck. And I go, yeah, that's that's what I want to do. I want to be on a truck company. Yeah, that one. Uh, specialized stuff. I'm a, I'm one of those guys that constantly wants to learn. Yeah. Push myself, and uh, you know, do do some hard stuff. Well, one this... day we're gonna have an engine guy on the show. One day. Well, I, we got an engine guy on the show. Um, <laughs> if a real, uh, real engine guy. If, right. That's true. <laughs> um, if uh, is this like a jump company, or you guys always or were you like a, were you able to be a fireman right away? Yeah, fireman right away. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, fireman right away. Okay. Um, I did spend a lot of time on the ambulance. I won't. Sure. Yeah. You know, I won't fool you on that. But yeah. uh, that's just you got to pay your dues and do that. So absolutely. And yeah. even today, I you know I'm an acting company officer right now down at uh, Station Ten okay. on Truck Ten, and uh, I love being on the ambulance. I I really do. Um, it's one of my passions to to go out and and you know do that skill. Oh yeah. You know it's a perishable skill. I think if you're not using it all the time, you know you, you kind of you, lose. You don't. It. You're not on the ambulance anymore as an officer now, are you? Um, I'm I'm not as much um, right now. I'm sitting seventh on the promotion list, so hopefully next year I'll be promoted to lieutenant. Right now I'm just acting company officer. So. Are you on the ambulance until somebody gets hired and moves into that spot, and then you move off? Or no. No. It sounds like they got like a rotation. Almost, we do. Right? Yeah. We do a rotation. Uh, we try to keep it fair, uh, but seniority does matter. Sure. I think. Uh, but most most of the time, I'm either acting up as the officer or I'm moved out acting up somewhere else. Okay. So. Oh wow. Yeah. That's a lot of a lot yeah. of running around. A lot of running around. If um if you make, um if you get promoted to an officer, do you? Are you no longer on the ambulance ever then? Right. Oh, really? Right. Oh, so that's really the really the, the drive behind the promotion. That's what you're saying here, right? No, no, not no, at no, all. No, not I at all. I'm going to keep my paramedic. <laughs> I, I, I sure am. I don't want to lose any money. Oh. So let's be. Oh, yeah. Let's, I mean, we'll bring it down. But uh, at, at Naperville, you're allowed to drop your paramedic license? You are. So uh, huh. when I first started, you had to be a paramedic for six years. And if there was an opening to drop that paramedic, you could. Uh, now they've extended that to 10 years. So you have to remain up. All the new hires now are 10 years. Which is fair. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does, just so everyone, because I mean, I'm, I guess I've driven, I've definitely driven through, I know it's a big giant town out there, but for, for people who aren't familiar with Naperville, Illinois, what does, what do those 10 stations look like? Are they, is it relatively diverse? Are there some, I guess, some sketchy areas still? I, every town's got like their, I guess, kind of, worse areas than better and, and busier in downtown areas. But what does Naperville look like? Sure. I, I, for the most part, it's it's a real affluent area. Okay. Um, you know, like I said, 85% of his, his EMS runs. Right. Uh, we don't get a lot of, uh, of fires. We have a great fire prevention bureau, mm-hmm. a great public education team that goes out. And you see that um, with the decrease in those type of calls, sure. right? fire calls. Yeah. Um, we probably run about 50 fires a year, you know. That's, that's, um, that's not nothing. Yeah, and <clears throat> extrications, you know, I, I can't, I couldn't even, I haven't been on one in a while. Mm-hmm. But, Let's um, say you guys got some pretty heavy highways running through We do. There, we though. got I-88, 59, yeah. uh, 75th Street uh, that are uh, high-speed areas, and we, we occasionally would get those. Um, but our, our 10 stations, um, 
you know, they're they're pretty nice. We have some older stations, obviously some newer ones. Sure. Uh, we usually have a, a suppression unit, uh, truck company or engine company with an ambulance in it. Okay. Uh, we have um, Station 8 that's a s- single company uh, squad that runs out of that, and Station 6 that's just an engine company that runs out of well, okay. I don't think there's yeah. any sketchy areas in Naperville. It was voted one of the best places to live in the entire country at one point, right? Uh, yeah, it's it. I I think it's pretty safe, but you know anything can happen at any time. Yeah, especially you know, anywhere, especially cruising through. Right. Um, so really, no, but there's got. I mean, every town has a kind of a garbagey area, right? <laughs> well, it's all relative. Like, uh, yeah. What, what's what's garbage to Naperville? Right, right. Yeah. It, it, we it are. might be Elmwood Park. It, you yeah. know, like Vince. Who knows? Wow. Garbage to Naperville. <laughs> That's what we. Are. Um, so on on ambulance calls, do you guys get? Uh, is it just the ambulance? Do you guys have a chaser with um, with the engine? Or? Yeah, it all depends on the type on of what call. The calls. Okay, yeah, so yeah. but it's not every single call. Not every single call. So coming up through the coming up through. So I, I remember you you said that you didn't really get your you didn't start working on uh, TRS certifications until um, until you had about five six years on. But what how was how were those first couple years you coming through? I, it was it was great. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work with some. Uh, great mentors that I, that I still look as mentors today yeah. uh, that really shaped me in, into who I am t- today. Oh, yeah. um, was I rough around the edges? Yeah, I, I was. But, you know, if it wasn't for them to see through that and not judge a book by its cover, you know, all that stuff, um, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And, I, and I've taken that, um, that kind of mentality, and that's how I, you know, go about training these these new people you know i don't beat on them i build relationships with them build them up and you know we're trying to make them better right you know that's 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 our goal um you know because these guys coming in today they don't have trade experience right this is probably their first job that they ever worked um you know teaching them you know work ethic and you know being able to think on their feet solve some problems they never had that They've always had someone telling them what to do, so we really try to build champions on our on our fire department and and uh, be able to think for themselves, problem solvers. That's a that's an that. awesome montage. Yeah. If um, any notable calls you could think of in those first five five-ish years, or boy, now you not to put, put you on, on the spot. spot yeah. You know? um, um, but I will say, while you're thinking about it, yeah, um, go through your 25 years and give me yeah, one. Um, I get fired, fired me <laughs> no, five, five, um, which is, you know, um, but, but the one thing I will say, which is pretty cool that, um, I kind of, I kind of try and hammer to, to guys as they start is that, um, which I totally didn't follow myself, but I feel like it's a really nice, um, especially on, on like departments like ours, like suburban departments, it's really nice to kind of, as you become a fireman, you know, as you're younger, in my opinion, it's nice to get into stuff like TRS because you've got the physicality still at that point. Like that's when you want to be able to like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to, you know, how to repel off this building today. And I'm going to, you know, learn how to tie these knots and do like much more physical um, type things in training. Um, and then again, like it's, and I jumped into it right away because I'm overweight, 
but um you know and then as you get a no. little bit older you're when you're dead. like kind of kind of spreading stuff out it's like okay maybe you want to look at like fire investigator like a job where you're maybe not like as you know active or have to be as physically demanding i guess and a little bit more like you get the seasoned guy in there um so how'd you kind of get into trs what kind of gave you that push just the technical side of it, always it? Push, pushing my, making my brain think. I, I like to fix things. I like to figure things out. And that gave me an opportunity to do that. And, and just to push myself to make myself better. Um, always. I've always been involved with the fire department. And now that I'm in my 26th year, mm-hmm. I haven't stopped that. When I, when I tried out for the Thames team, uh, that was three years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm 50 years old, and it's and it's demanding. The physical part of it is super demanding, and I wanted to lead by example. Yeah. Say, hey, you know, I know you're 24, 25 years on the department, but this is no time to coast. Right. This is time to show the younger people that and the older people on the department that you can still do this and make an impact and bring value to those teams. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I always told when, when I worked in the suburbs, I was, I always told the younger guys, like, you know, get your, you know, your firefighter stuff together. And then once you feel comfortable, not that we're all super comfortable, but once you feel a little more confident in your skills, uh, as a firefighter within those first couple of years, pick some sort of team to be on some sort of specialty, whether it's investigators, hazmat, TRT, whatever else uh water rescue whatever else that you know that division or whatever but be an asset to your department right don't just be an asshole but be an asset <laughs> you know? i like that we should yeah. make a shirt out of that. oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know be you be useful make your department look a little better you know you you go to these t- t- uh, technical rescue drills and you know there's two departments that don't have anybody there or whatever you know don't you know try and be an asset yeah. to your department i mean back in the day when there were guys that were or when when guys were still real trade guys you know like you had you showed up with an engine or a truck and you had like oh you know bobby's an electrician and billy's a you know a carpenter and like those guys were assets in their regard but like the more the more developed and professional i think firefighting gets like the more it's like yeah now it's nice to like oh um you know jeff is a jeff's a trs guy you know i'm a fire investigator we're all like kind of working with these assets now and there's 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 a there's a different job for everybody within these mavis division teams and you know even if it's going you know if you're uh department does like the bureau 7g or something like that you know go go do the bureau learn learn about buildings and fire protection systems for a little bit and the one thing i um again back to you bill the one thing that i always really dug about trs and i've taken i took a handful of classes just uh just because there was a a big grant for everyone i think you said you took a couple of them too right and devince did you i thought you said you were thinking about it too there was like this big grant where they were giving out, yeah, Cook County, they were home, Cook TRS, County like Homeland candy. Security. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cook County Homeland Security had there given a big grant, uh, and a lot of guys were going to NIPSTA for free, yeah, for confined space. Uh, what else did we do? Well, structural, that's, structural collapse. collapse. And that's what I was going to say about VMO, like, that's what's so cool like that. about TRS, and you know, you could definitely, you know, lend some credence to it, but like, it's not just like, oh. I'm going to tie a rope and um, I'm going to rappel off this building the that happens rope. every single day. Like there's, <laughs> I mean, it was, it, I wasn't like a big rope guy, but I was like, man, like confined space is some cool shit. Like you get to use your hands and you get to do this. So um, care to kind of 
I guess maybe like delve into what what TRS is out by Naperville and like what what kind of training you guys did to yeah get you, you know um, early on we had to take all those classes on our own you know and pay cover, for it out of pocket yeah. your own oh, pocket yeah. oh yeah a lot of the old squad guys uh, you know in Chicago they that's their big knock is really? this came out of my pocket yeah. I had to do my own trades huh. oh yeah yeah really? they didn't cover your time and you know you had to make those trades but. You know, it was it was worth it. It oh, was yeah. definitely worth it. I know we don't run, you know, TRT calls all you know every single day. Who does? Um, but when it does happen, we I mean, we just had a tornado, you know, roll through Naperville, and that was a perfect example right there. You got to be ready. You know, those um, high risk, low frequency kind of events. You got to right. be ready, and you got to have them. And we we train once a month. You know, we're we're now part of CART, and um, you What's know that? just. Um, it's just the the it's it's kind of like Mabus, okay. but it, but it's a little, a little it, bit more dynamic. Yes, with the, a little bit more with dynamic. The TRS and, okay. Yeah, so uh, we get together with all those folks, and you know we do, um, you know, training with them, which is which is great. So uh, once a month. Oh, cool. It's okay. it's very active. Yeah. Very active, and all our teams are are that way. Hazmat team, especially our our water rescue uh, team, Swift Water. Chuck Gross runs that. And he does a phenomenal job. And, uh, you know, you don't... <clears throat> Didn't your guys just pull some woman out of a car or something like that, yeah. that she sunk her car? Yeah, funny. That's a funny story. I was uh, in charge on Engine 4 uh, that day, and hmm. I had to go out to Denver because I was speaking at a, at a conference out there uh, on advanced cardiac arrest. So Captain Hilk, that you know, he was coming in to relieve me. So I called him and said, hey, man, I got to catch my flight. Can you get here early to relieve me? As soon as he put his stuff down, that call came in right around the block. Huh. And he took it. I, w- I would have never, I would have <laughs> missed my flight, you know, out, the, out there. But, uh, yeah, that was that call. And they, uh, the lady, I think, had a seizure yeah. and went in. And, you know, the, as soon as they pulled her out, that car sunk. Uh, so they did a Jesus. great job. Great, great job. Wow. But it comes down to training and, you know, the equipment that we have and being on the same page. So it didn't matter that he just came in and set his stuff down. He knew exactly what to do. Um, and, and all of our members are that way. So you've kind of taken it uh, with our as well, in regards to emergency medical services. You've kind of become an expert in advanced cardiac arrest correct this is why you when you talked about going out to denver you just recently went out to denver to speak on that correct yes uh how did you what what guided you into this now well in 2017 uh, i became the ems training assistant um you had to apply for it you had to um, sit with the senior staff go through an interview process and I was selected to to do that. At the time, uh, Division Chief Jim Kabinsky was the EMS chief at the time. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> and uh, one of the first orders of business was he was taking me out to Columbus, Ohio, to a conference on cardiac resuscitation. And he was he was telling me all this stuff about you know, hey, they're using these auto pulses or mechanical CPR devices, and they're delaying defibrillation and not giving epi. And I was thinking to myself, what the hell is he talking about? This is not what we do. You know, we push, you know, 9 million milligrams of epinephrine, and we do CPR, we intubate, we, you know, 
we start IVs or IOs and we get them to the hospital, right? That's what we do. So he was he was talking about how uh, Rialto Fire Department out in California they're they're changing the way they do cardiac arrest. So in my mind, I was thinking this was witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So I said, "All right, you're you're paying for me to go out to Columbus. I'll go. I I don't care. Sure, you know, check it out." But I sat there, and I listened to Chief Joe Powell, who's retired now from Rialto Fire Department, talk about cardiac arrest and what they do. And I got it. I got it right away. I said, this makes sense to me. This makes sense to me. 2017? Uh, yep, 2017. So you got, what, 20 years on the job at that point? Uh, about 23, 24. Yeah. Well, so what, you, what was the big change that was different that you needed to go to Rialto to to get the realization what, what and is it significant in the overall outcome of your cardiac arrest patients totally um it, it it comes down to survivability right as paramedics we define ourselves on our skills all the time right we can run a cardiac arrest and i'm sure you guys can attest to this we we don't even have to speak to each other right we can right. we can innovate we can we can fill the gap Right, and we can run that call, and we can do all these things and get them to the hospital in like 15 minutes, and we can high five each other and say, "Did you see me do that IV? I was standing on my head, you know, <laughs> you know, drinking an orange whip. I, you know, it, it was amazing." But did that patient survive that event? No, right? Can you count on your hand how many times someone survived that that event? If you look at the national average, it's right around nine percent, maybe even lower of of survivability from a cardiac arrest and what, what do we talk about survivability survivability is neurologically intact walking out of the hospital that's how we define it a cpc score of one or two okay um that cerebral performance criteria that they use walking out of the hospital um rosk is great you know um, i'm going to quote uh, kevin joels from lawrence douglas kansas who's the ems chief out there he goes it's a hot dog measuring contest that's what rosk <laughs> is you know um you can say all day that i have you know 40 percent rosk but did they survive that's what i want to know and everything that we do on that call matters what what is rosk for those who aren't in the fire or emergency medical services return a spontaneous circulation that's what rosk means and you have to have rosk before you get survivability but when we talk about rosk you can have rosk and they can die okay by what we did or what we didn't do or what the hospital did or what they didn't do all right so we're all on the same page so when we talk about improvement of survivability it has to be um you know we talk about the chain of survival all the time so you have to have a great community um buy-in to what we're doing early cpr is is huge our dispatch has to be on board um with that coaching people on how to do cardiac uh compressions um you know most of our cardiac arrests happen in the home mm -hmm. you know we have a like 10 percent happen out in public but out of those 10 percent, we have a great you know, survivability rate out of it, because somebody is doing CPR. We have AEDs placed everywhere, which is which is fantastic. Um, the problem is in the home, we see our survivability go down because there's that psychological 
barrier, right? Having to do CPR on a loved one. Some people just can't do it. Right. Right. So dispatch is so important on coaching those people to get them on the chest and start CPR. Any CPR is good CPR, right? We want to change that uh, pH in the body and, and get some blood flow going. So when we get on the scene, we're ahead of the game. So, you know, um, do you think you settle a quick argument me and Steve have had? Um, it's so the chain of survival. Probably not, this is probably not an argument we've the had. The chain so of survival. So you know. Does that include Hardy's breakfast sandwiches or not? I would say yes. I, oh, I mean, shit. they're so good. All right. You, yeah, I guess you're right, Steve. <laughs> shit, Corey. Right. You should have had a Hardy's breakfast sandwich in fucking Springfield. You got to start the day all right. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't you mean know? it. was just this, this uh, thing that's, that's been going that's, on for a while. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> so. <clears throat> How, um, what's your community, uh, do you guys work with, um, do you guys have like a public CPR program out in Naperville? Is that something you guys kind of yes, work we do. with in tandem with it? Or? Yes, we have a great CPR program. Um, you know, our public um, education team, Soraya uh, McLaughlin uh, runs that. She does a great job. She has a, you know, a great relationship with our school district and they, they rock it. Wow. They rock it. When are they getting out there? Early? All the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, are they getting in with, like, high school kids? Yeah. Or when do they... Um, Col- when they- we have, you know, North Central College. We're oh, yeah. in that. We have, you know, uh, three high schools there in Naperville, and they just have a great working relationship Now, with Billy, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it still a law in Illinois that high school seniors are supposed to graduate with a CPR card? Hmm. I don't know if that is a law. But I know I was certified CPR. Were you? When I was in eighth grade, actually, that was no. part of the curriculum. You know. Yeah. So well, some states have gone so far as if you, when you go to get your driver's license, they were going to require you to take the CPR class. I, I I don't think it's a bad thing. Right. You know, the more people that know CPR, the better. Right. Right. So, so what I was taught in the past was that one of Governor Quinn's like last, you know pieces of legislation he signed or you know executive orders or something like that that he put out there was uh that every high school senior before they graduated in illinois had to go through a cpr competency or graduate with a cpr uh card and then but there was no money to fund it so like all these kids were graduating nobody had the cpr card and it was just kind of like meh who's gonna pay for it yeah who's gonna pay for it nobody all right well you know it looks good on the books so yeah, and again, like that's that's one thing that um, you know, going back to you know you coming up through the fire department, us too. I mean, I after seeing some of these like public CPR classes and CPR classes that are being done, like that's really like the first ever like I guess first responder medical class a lot of these kids are ever exposed to, you know, or, or adults, whoever. Like they they might have no idea what the fire department is before they take a CPR class, right? You know, right. I know in, in Naperville, we're, we're just beginning we, uh, to become a heart-safe community. Uh, it's an organization out there that uh, focuses on community CPR. Uh, it's a great organization. And, um, you know, if, if your community is looking in, into that, I would suggest the fire department has to spearhead that, obviously. But it's, it's all about, you know, getting a certain percentage of your community um, certified in CPR, right? You know, within like the first year and the second year, I think it's like fifteen percent. The first year, second year is fifteen percent, oh, wow. uh, and really getting buy-in from um, the community to help us 
as first responders. What's the population in Naperville? 150,000 <sighs> around there, somewhere 55 square miles. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. But again, you know, the, our public education team does a great job. We have a great CPR program. Um, you know, it's just one of those teams that you can be on in Naperville. We're, we're extremely progressive in, in that regard, and we take that, take that seriously. We really do. I'm not saying the other apartments don't. They might not have the funding or financing to do that. Sure, yeah. You know, that's another, uh, you know, hurdle that these departments have to um, clear. But, uh, you know, HeartSafe is a, is a good, good uh, area to start. And uh, we're going through that right now, that process right now. Yeah. So you're you're out in Ohio. Your mind gets blown, and and the conference is the Advanced Cardiac Resuscitation Conference. Uh, what did you specifically on the fire and EMS side take to bring back to Naperville? That we suck at CPR. Fire the fire service as a whole. Yes. Yeah. We we are horrible at it. Um, there's just, again, we, we are skills oriented people and you think that CPR would fall into that, yeah. but it didn't, it's not sexy to do CPR. Right. And it's so basic. If you think about it, you know, that person is becoming acidotic the longer that they sit there and, and there's nothing going on. So if we can do near perfect CPR, nonstop CPR, we can change the pH or the acidosis in the body because we can give epi, we can defib people, but it won't make a difference. We'll straighten that, you know, V-fib out for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll put them right into a systole yeah. and they'll never come back. But, you know, we are horrible at, at CPR. That's why these mechanical CPR devices, I don't care which one you use. We use the, the Zoll Autopulse. I know there's Lucas, there's Defib Arm, there's, there's all these things. Use it because it frees us up. Yeah. You know, at first the guys were like, what, what are you talking about? We're using mechanical CPR. And now they love it because they don't have to do CPR. Right. You know, we can do other things. We can be paramedics. Yeah. Well, I, I think in our career, uh, since Steve and I have been on, uh, I, I remember we were back when we, you had to go someplace and do Con Ed. Yeah. You know, and the doctors came out and they changed the whole, they, they basically said our survivability sucks in the city of Chicago and they wanted to make a change. And it was a big push that, uh, you know, Back before I came on, the the protocol was, if you wanted this guy to survive, you got to get him to the hospital as soon as you could. You know, nothing out on the street mattered. It was get him in, do what you have to do, whatever you can get done on your way to the hospital. The hospital was a definitive care. And then there was this big push that everything needed to be done at the patient side and the survivability was actually done right there at the patient side. So they, they changed our policy to, um, Play them where they lay. I think that was like the, the the catchphrase for the change of the new protocol. So we weren't even allowed. If if you found that person and you were working a cardiac arrest, no matter where they were, uh, outside of it being an unsafe scene, you worked them there, and you basically weren't allowed to move that person until number one, you got ROSC, or you were doing a termination in the field. And so is that the same thing that you were learning out, out there that changed what you guys do in Naperville? Oh, totally. Totally. When we talk about definitive care, right, that's, that's a big thing. Getting them to the hospital, are they doing the same thing that we're doing out in the field? Yes. 
basically the same thing. Do they have access to different drugs and we have a cath lab? Yeah, they do. But, you know, the one thing we stress to our members is this patient has to give us a good reason to transport them to the hospital. And what is that? That's ROSC, right? So we are going to work them right there. That's their best chance of survival is right there. Because what happens when we start moving that patient? Well, you can't do CPR on a stair chair. Exactly. You, You can't get this guy down the stairs and effectively do compressions. Right. So what does AHA tell us about, you know, you want to limit our pauses to, to 10 seconds because the heart totally drains and then you got to start over again, right? So, you know, we nothing nothing trumps CPR. That's what we tell our guys. Nothing trumps CPR. Even to the point, like, ventilations aren't even as important now. And that's another shift. It used to be all, we got to get this person to breathe. Change the ABCs to mm-hmm. now CAB. Yeah. And so there has been this giant shift. And for me, we, you know, we, we've had other guests in here back in the day. It was a cardiac arrest. You gave a ton of bicarb. Yes. That was the treatment. And now we're fine. And then we went from a whole host of different drugs and experimenting to now we're, we're down to a handful. You know, now, like you said, it's epi all the way home. And I think what do we, you know, 20 years from now, are we going to look back and be like, man, we used to give a ton of epi to everybody. What's going to be the, the new protocol here? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, how those things are cyclical, right? They, yeah. they go in, in big circles. But uh, most of our survivability of our patients, we've never given a drug to. Now, that's crazy, right? That is insane. But I'm not saying epi is bad or bicarb is bad or amiodarone is bad. Um, they have it their place at the right time. But you have to prime that heart. You have to change the pH in the body in order for that to work. I mean, you can give enough epi to an orange and you can get a, get a heartbeat out of it, you know. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're going to survive, right? And if you look at it, you know, all these reports out there, the toxicity of epi of these patients, yeah, we might have had ROSC and they, they could have survived in the hospital for four days, but they never made it out of the hospital, you know. They, they rode in a hearse out of, out of the hospital. So uh, there's a lot of reports out there, a lot of different papers on that. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just it has its place. So you realize you're at this conference. You're like, man, we suck at CPR. Probably learned a couple other things, right? When you brought that stuff back with the chief to Naperville, how did you guys decide to start implementing change within not only the department, but – you also have to deal with the resource hospital, right? Because you can't just be like, well, we're not doing this anymore when Dr. So-and-so at, over at the resource hospital is like, hold on a second. You know, he's got his thing that he wants to. How did how did that work? How are you able to take what you learned at the conference, teach your membership, and then actually implement change with the department, the administration, and the resource or the, or the, the, region, the regions? That's a great question. Great question. Uh, a lot of stuff there. Um, there's two types of people that don't like change. People who go to church and firefighters. <laughs> they hate it. Okay. hundred years of tradition, unimpeded yes. by progress. You got it. You got it. So we had to come up with a way to teach this. Because, you know, when I was coming through the fire service, you know, they showed you something. This is how we do it. And you're going to do it this way. All right. 
I just got get flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> and if you asked why, you got hit upside the head with a, you know, with a flathead axe or something, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, the, the members that are coming on today, they want to know why we're doing stuff. Okay? And if you don't give them the why, they're going to find out. Because they have this little thing called a phone and Google, <laughs> and th- you know they're going to come up with their own method of of, of doing stuff. So yeah, and they're um, not going to find out like in two days after they're done at the library. They're going to find out five minutes that you're a moron. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's what uh, uh, like Jim Stedman and a couple of the other guys that taught my fire officer FO one FO two courses were like, listen, when you're speaking, you better know what you're talking about. And millennials aren't on their phone just on Facebook. They're finding out how full of shit you are too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> most right. definitely. So we had to come up and devise a plan and how we're going to deliver this. So uh, first we had to come up with where are we right now with our data? I know when you talk about data, firemen kind of gloss over. They don't want to know it. Hey, I'm a fireman, man. I don't need to know numbers. That doesn't drive me. Well, it does. It it drives progress. It drives change, new equipment. You know, just look at flow path, right, with with fires. That wasn't taught to me when I was coming through. But now it's you, you need to know that, mm-hmm. right? You know, in order to be effective firefighter and not get killed, you know. And and this is no different. You know, when we when we train on cardiac arrest, you know, I tell the guys this is this is the structure fire of EMS. So let's train like we do on the fire side with with this, okay? Um, and I th- and I think the reason why guys kind of gloss over on that is because we don't have people survive. We don't have those positive outcomes. Well, now we're seeing that positive outcome. ROSC survivability of these patients coming out of the hospital. So how did we do it? We had to know where we were. So back in 2016, I had to write some notes down because, you know, this is important. And this is well, how... you're old too. So. This is, yeah, I am old. Uh, this is how we delivered. We had to show them where we're at. And, and this was the difficult part, how bad we were at CPR, right? We're, we're pretty prideful individuals. Okay, so this was a tough one. 2016, we had 61 total cardiac arrest. We had 26% ROSC, which is above the national average. Now we were hanging our hat on that, saying, "Hey, this is this Look is us, pretty yeah. good," you know. But remember the hot dog measuring contest? Right. Yeah. That's that's what that is, right? But our survivability rate was 9.8%. That sucks. We only had six survivors out of that. Okay, so we're lockstep. Survive, you know, with the national average. 2017, we decided. What does, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to stop you. Uh, so, what does survivability mean? Neurologically intact, walking out of the hospital. They walked out of the hospital. So, a CPC score of one or two. Wow. Okay, which is great. Now, there's five different categories with that, right? So, for uh, somebody who's not a very smart CPC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cerebral performance category. This is how they category these uh, these patients. These post cardiac arrest. These post cardiac okay. arrest. I was talking about me, by the way. Uh, no, <laughs> that's okay. That's that's okay. And they they notice that when when they use that score, okay, and people that have that targeted temperature measurement inside of the hospital post cardiac, you saw survivability long term increase. So that's where you get your categories. Your CPC one is your best. Outlook for survivability long term out of the hospital. They're neurologically intact. They can they can drive their car. They can. That's the guy who's going to drive to the firehouse and thank the guys. Yes, and- yes, and so on. CPC two. You know, there's some 
deficit there neurologically, but they still can function and be, you know, a positive person in the community. Our CPC3 score where you have severe neurological defect, right? They need constant care. Just think about that. You know, yeah, we saved this person's life, but what we did or didn't do or what the community didn't do, did we cause a hardship on that that family? That family. You know, a financial one. Is that a fair score that takes an effect like, you know, the reality is sometimes we have patients in the nursing homes who already started at a low cognitive. Right. Is that something that this score takes into effect? We get a person who has lower cognitive functioning, whatever it may, whatever type of medical history or developmental disabilities they had. With their pre-arrest situation. You're right. And that pre-arrest, and then they have that cardiac arrest nursing home does what they do we show up do what they we do they get rask bring them to the hospital is that something that they take it that takes an effect or no i'm sure they do they they find out where their baseline was okay right and are we close to that baseline you know and then it'll fall into that that scoring um and then you go on to your you know cpc4 which is they're in complete coma you know, may not respect. even make it out of right. the nursing, or may not even make it out of the ER. Yeah. Um, but if they did, they're probably right. they're likely sitting in an ICU for right. And then the five is obviously you know brain death, and they're not walking out. So you know we're shooting for that one or two score, and you know that temperature that targeted temperature measurement is huge. I know uh, our hospital Edward Hospital does that. Um, you know we're we're seeing long term positive outcomes of these patients walking out of the hospital with that. And so you were saying that this is 2016 that where these numbers were, you guys were one in four, you guys were getting ROSC on. That was, um, back in, um, yeah, I think it was 16. It was 26%. Yeah. 26% ROSC and we had 9.8% survivability. So we're doing the old method, right? The one handed CPR, we've got our head on backwards, we're riding the rail, right? You know, we're looking super sexy doing this, <laughs> right? But the patient's not surviving, right? So back in 2017, we decided, Hey, I went to this conference, right? Said, this is really cool. We decide that we're going to go with mechanical CPR devices and how important they are. And this was a huge shift with our department because we wanted to get buy-in from the department. They hate change, right? right. Who, who made that decision that you were going that your direction? You and the and the chief? Yes. Okay. Most definitely. We wanted them to make that decision on that. So we tri- we trialed five different devices, okay? They came in, they gave us like 15 minutes of training and said, "Good luck." Yeah. you know, with it. And that gave us really the science behind, you know, why we're doing this. And there was a, a trial with that too, or mm-hmm. that was just like an in-service? Yeah, it was a in-service. And then we trialed it for, you know, a month or, okay. or two. Cool. But it was interesting. We had 59 total cardiac arrests, but our ROSC went up to 30%. That was, that was interesting to me. And our survivability went up to 11.8%. Hmm. Which and is the change in the mechanical device. Just the change in mechanical devices. And we had seven survivors that year. Is that luck? Probably. Hmm. You know, but it started to, the, the membership started to realize that, you know, perfect CPR, nonstop CPR is important, you know, in this regard. So they really started focusing on that. So shift to 2018, we're going to buy these. They decide, hey, we're going to, we want the, the Zoll Auto Pulse. Okay, um, they thought that was the best one. So 
we, we had to buy 11 of them. Who, um, at, who a price tag, at a price tag of? $15,000 a piece. That's expensive. Yeah, right? oh yeah. Really expensive. And even that's come down, right? Probably. Or relative to, it, it I feel like when they first, yeah. it was like yeah. it was like 25 large. But that's it? a major capital purchase. Huge. Especially 11 of them. Huge. That's a fire engine. Yeah, yeah. So we had to buy 11 of them. So how we were going to do that. So during that process, it took us a year to figure out how we were going to purchase these things. Mm-hmm. So we did not have mechanical CPR. So we reverted back to manual CPR. Okay. And I think this is significant. We had 73 total cardiac arrest. We stayed at our ROSC at 30%, which was great, but our survivability went down to 6.8%. And we only had five survivors. Wow. So in the grand scheme of this, since, since you start getting involved of it, since you start getting involved, um, you guys went to a trial period of mechanical CPR devices, okay? Probably saw what we could probably equate to um, a, um, I guess, a, a, I don't want to say a revolution, but well, you equate just had to an like, increase in survivability. Um, well, yeah, but a, but a buy-in in the membership really was what kind of drove things. And after the trial period was over, guys were still on the level of like, this is important. We got to make sure. But so your survivability stayed pretty high. When you brought forth that data, did the membership buy into it? Yes and no. Remember, we're very prideful in in what we do. They didn't want to admit that we were bad at CPR, but we were. And this proved it. Our numbers backed up. You know, the fire... The firefighters want to know facts straight out. You know, don't give me any bullshit. Tell me the facts. And these were the facts. We didn't weed out. We didn't use an Utstein criteria saying, hey, we're just going to, you know, use these type of people that are VFib witnessed bystander CPR going on. We used all of our cardiac arrests. They wanted to know that. Okay. And they just want to know the facts. And once we did that and we were transparent about that, you know, it, it's all about building relationships and building trust with them because we're changing something that they have been taught for decades and decades, right? We're, we're doing a major change. So are there going to be some uncomfortable spots for them? For sure. For sure. We are challenging them on every aspect of what they were taught, right? Hey, what are you talking about? We're like, for example, uh, we don't we don't innovate our cardiac arrest anymore because by, you know, we looked at our data by the time we got on the scene and time we got the tube was 12 minutes. And during that time, what happened? We stopped CPR because we had to try to innovate, you know, so we had to find alternatives. So we went to an eye gel and that cut it down to two minutes, which was positive outcomes, right? So we should be defining ourselves, not on the skills that we do, but our positive outcomes that happened. Did that patient survive? And we're going to give you the tools, the tools, and we're going to teach you how to use these. And we're going to show you the science and the data behind it. And we're going to give you all that ammo to put in your gun so you can affect positive change. And you can hang your head on that every day, every day. And that's what they're doing. And they bought into it just by that. So now you got you're 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 getting guys to buy into the data, the membership, right? And then 
what was the administration's reaction to all this? 100% buy-in. They're like, we want data. You're like, here's the data. Here's They're the like, data. we're in. We, we were prepared. Okay. You have to come prepared. You just can't walk into the chief's office and say, hey, I want to spend, you know, I, I don't know how much it was, but it was pretty significant. Right. We want to spend this because we think it's going to work. Right. I want a slushy machine in every firehouse. Right. But, exactly. You know. <laughs> that right. sounds awesome. Did, right. you have <laughs> to get, did you have to get approval from your PMD? We did. We did. And that was, that was a part of it, too. Um, this was very systematic in how we approached this. Um, we spent a lot of time planning on how to roll it out to to, the, to our members, um, but we had we couldn't put the. Well, was it was it PMD first, then membership? You had to go in order because yes, you guys could have spent all that money yes, and then the your project medical director said. No, we don't. We don't do auto pulses. Right. We don't do mechanical CPR. Oh, that sounds like a very familiar story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question. So our PMD, Dr. Daryl Wilson, um, remarkable man. Also, very, also a musician. He is also a musician. Oh. Uh, do you hear a, a resounding thing that's happening? It's about building relationships with people. Right. Okay. Um, this is huge. Um, we talk about champions of, you can be a champion of everything, of anything, right? Um, right now I'm the champion of ACR. Okay. So I had to find ways, uh, how to get this pushed over the top. Okay. And building relationships with people is, is one of those. So, um, we knew that Dr. Wilson wasn't a big fan of, uh, the use of Epi, just giving Epi. So that was our in. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is really based off of off of that. Right. And said, hey, let's let's have some lunch. And he said, sure, let's have some lunch, you know, because right, we had that relationship. Right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. And we started talking about it, and we started showing the data from Rialto Fire Department yeah. and what they're doing. And he was like, let's do it. You know, we wow. had our plan. This We told At him the this meeting. Is, yeah, this is what we want to huh. do. I mean, we had it all laid out. He didn't have to... Um, developed this plan. Right. We came with the plan, saying this is what we're going to do. Um, we we framed it as a trial. We we broke it down into a two phase trial. The first trial would be mechanical CPR, ITD use, uh, heads up CPR, and then the second phase we wanted. In that first phase, we wanted to gather all that that data mm -hmm. and show our progress with that. And then the second uh, phase of that was delayed defibrillation. And delayed epi and then we gathered all of that information and it was such a positive experience that our whole system went to this it's no longer a trial you thanks, guys, you thanks guys naperville the, you guys do the delayed <laughs> thanks naperville stuff? yes okay so oh, yes that's just that goes against everything else that we've learned like early defibrillation right. is like the cornerstone of but what's early defibrillation what's early defibrillation in your as book? soon as you can get the, the pads on and hit that button okay great that's awesome right so how long does it take us to take the call you think for us at like for first responders yeah. to take the call yeah um, three minutes okay how long does it take us to get to the patient five Five minutes. So when we put the pads on and they're in V-fib, is that early defibrillation? Early defibrillation. No, because they've been in V-fib for probably 15 minutes before we got there. Exactly. And they're ready to go out of it, right? So they're acidotic. The pH in the body is all screwed up, right? And we decide that we're going to shock them because that's what AHA 
tells us, or ACLS tells us to do, but what it, that those, those cells in the heart are not ready to accept that electrical treatment, right? That, that shock. And in most cases, we send them right into a systole or PEA and they never come out of it. It's so important for us to change the pH, the acidosis in the body. And the only way we can do that is with high quality, nonstop CPR. So that's, that's what we do. So you know, when you, you were um, talking about Rialto, California, when we were changing to our different protocols in the city, the example was always Seattle. Yes. Everything was Seattle. And I, I think the numbers are skewed differently because they have, they do things very differently than, than everybody else. And they have different education out there with, uh, I think the the data was like they have way more defibrillators out in public and uh, people out in Seattle are more educated in CPR. And that's, they were trying to compare the same numbers to Chicago, which when they went over the numbers of how Chicago, the survivability that we were doing with the fire department uh, for cardiac arrest, it was horrible. And we've gotten much, much better with these new protocols where it's, get on the chest, stay on the chest and play them where they lay. Right. I, you know, Seattle's pit crew CPR method is great. I think that's great because, Hey, we, what, what do we do when we're, we're on the chest and we say, Hey, are you okay? Oh yeah, I'm fine, man. You know, what are we doing? We're, we're leaning on the chest more, which is affecting cardiac output. You know, all these things we're slowing down. Um, it, we're not good at it. So their method of changing out every two minutes religiously and getting someone fresh on the chest is really great, mm. really great. But, you know, when you look at all the other things, like we use an ITD, you know, interthoracic um, device to help, um, you know, return uh, blood venous return to the heart. And we're is using... Is that the thing that you just, you put on there the, and you put your hands the on? The puck? No, this is oh. this connects to the tube. It's a one-way valve. Oh, okay. Um, which shuts and it lets the heart fill up completely, you know. And then when we do that compression, we're you know we're trying to change um, the pH in the body, and that's the best way to do that. And it affects intracranial pressure also. It relieves that. Um, so it shuts off have, your ability to deliver oxygen through the tube during a compression. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So oh, there's, really? there's there's a hole in the system, right, when sure. we have a tube in it. So yeah. it doesn't allow that uh, the negative pressure to build up in the heart, which doesn't allow the heart to fill up completely. We want that heart to fill up completely to optimize our CPR along with our mechanical. We're doing perfect compressions, so we want something else to plug that hole, uh, and the ITD does that. Right. Okay, but you have to do it with near perfect CPR or that ITD doesn't make a damn difference, mm. you know, on, on these patients. So, mm -hmm. um, we call this a bundle of care, all the things that we use with that. Um, capnography is huge mm -hmm. when we're, when we're dealing with, um, our cardiac arrest patients, you know, we're looking at, uh, real time, you know, uh, perfusion at the cellular level, right? How are our CPR, how is our CPR doing? We can look at capnography and say, uh, it's not doing too good. You know, maybe we we need to adjust our hands on on the heart because everybody's different, right? Mm -hmm. um, how is our ventilations affecting the patient? Because we can affect um, intracranial pressure that way. We can hyperventilate patients not only with volume or 
and with rate, which affects survivability of these patients. So all these things combined, all the things that we do or don't do, these little things matter when we talk about survivability. We can talk about ROSC all day, you know, but at the end of the day, did they walk out of the hospital and get to spend another day with their family? So Billy, what are the, what are the current numbers? Current numbers. That's fantastic. Let's see. I love it. I mean, the numbers will, will say it all, right? It will. So um, let's start back at 2019 because that's when we implemented our ACR program, uh, the new protocol for that. And we had a banner year, man. And this, this, you, so you guys, you, I'm sorry to go back a little bit, but so you, the PMDs agreed to implement this. Yes. Um, and then he changed the protocols for the entire system. Yeah, Edward Hospital. Edward Hospital. System. Yeah, and then so were you getting a little flack from other departments because now they're having to purchase equipment, or was were there options for them to not have the auto pulse? Or so we were fortunate enough. Most of the departments in our EMS system already had the auto pulse. They had the Zoll X-Series monitor. Mm. They had all those capabilities. Yeah. They just didn't have a process on how to implement. They're using the stuff, but they weren't using all the tools in our bundle of care that we were using. So um, the hospital, now that we've made it uh, you know, an, a policy, the hospital flips the bill for all that, you know, Capnography supplies, the ITD, the pads, the stat pads, the CPR puck pad, iGel. You know, it wasn't such a financial hit okay. on those departments. There's only one department, Warrenville. Um, they're, they're in a different situation. You know, they're mixed, you know. Great full-time, part-time, yes. and contract. Yes. So uh, trying to figure out how we're going to implement ACR on their department has been a challenge, but we're working through that with them. So now, okay, it's it's been implemented. Everybody now it's time to train everybody, right? Yes. How did that go over? Um, it was difficult. It was uncomfortable, but I like being uncomfortable. Sure. You know, um, change comfortable, so, comfortable couches make soft firemen. You got it. You got it. And I love uh, challenging the status quo. Right. We, we've done it this way. And that's not an excuse to keep doing it. Did Zoll come out and in-service your... Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on all the devices that we use. So a big thing for me was to bring in the experts to do that. Huge. Huge. All right. The science behind it. Um, you know, we have a big department. So training was a challenge. So we did that all on duty. We took companies out of service. They got 90 minutes of in-service on the auto pulse, and we did it for that month. The first thing, the first month was the auto pulse. We had an extra auto pulse. We would send it out to the stations, and they would train on it that whole month, and that's all they did. did. Um, that second month, we, we introduced ITDs to them. We brought in the experts from that right, company. The manufacturer. Yeah. yeah. Hey, let's talk about it. What's the science behind it? We let them ask questions because they're going to have questions. Did it get heated sometimes? Yes, mm -hmm. it did, but we worked through it. And then that whole month we worked with, we recapped on the auto pulse, but we went with the ITD and they trained on it the whole month. The third um, month we worked on capnography. Okay. Because when I went through paramedic school, we didn't have capnography. We didn't have 12 leads when I was but look at the, the advancements in 12 leads and what that has done 
and save people's lives. This is no different. This is no different. So um, we brought um, Troy Valente, who works out in Estes Park, Colorado. He's a paramedic. He's an advanced uh, uh, critical care paramedic. He's wrote a book on capnography. He speaks firemen. Okay. Um, Does does that bring credibility to, to what we're trying to do? Yes, it sure does. So he came out and he talked. Um, the apartment was great, you know, financially paying, you know, for all, all these people care of them, yeah. taking care of all this stuff. Uh, we videotaped the stuff so people can watch it, but that was huge. It, it paid off dividends, uh, for that. And then the fourth month, um, we tied it all together with scenario based training. Okay. So, you so know, did some, did some mega code type situation. Totally. Right? You know, everything. And we filmed it, you know, and we showed it to them. And then we, t- we talked about it. We really debriefed those things, let them answer, you know, questions. And um, they were really great at all this. And it paid off. That slow roll of doing it uh, really paid off. I listened to, uh, that's another thing about, you know, if, if you want to be um, a good educator or a good leader, you have to listen. You have to listen. You just can't always be charging forward and saying, this is where we're going to do it. Come follow me. Um, you need to listen to them and see what they need. That That's huge. And they needed, they needed this to be slow. They needed to know the, the membership. why. Yes. Okay. They needed to know the why. They needed to know the science uh, behind this. And we gave them that opportunity to do that, to get comfortable with this change. Because it was a huge change oh, yeah. for them. Yeah, you run the same you run the same training training regimen over the course of four weeks and says four months. Like yeah. you're getting a very different totally very different outcome, I'm sure. Yeah. So now you implement these things in the field, right? You've Naperville done, Naper- implements us in the field, right? right? Yep. Only Naperville at this Only point. Only Naperville. Okay. And your feedback you're getting uh, from the membership, you guys are all that's ongoing conversation about about things. Were there guys that were just like this suck thing, but was there some negative feedback where you, or maybe some from some of the old timers too, that were like, I don't like this thing. Yeah. We had guys saying, I refuse to do it. <laughs> well, you're going to have to do it because right. now it's a policy and we're, we're going to have to do it. But those, I would much rather have the young guy do CPR than, <laughs> yeah. than me have the young guy put on auto pause. But you know, I've never backed away from that kind of conflict, sure. you know, sure. Um, I didn't come back at them and produce more conflict. Uh, that's not productive at all. Um, you produce facts, and you just keep hammering away at that. You keep training them. But the biggest thing that happened that was a positive for us, that first week that we implemented the ACR program, we had two saves. Wow. Two saves. Right out of the gate, man. <laughs> Boom. And, you know, what is it? Telephone tell a friend, tell a fireman kind of thing that spread like wildfire with them. And everybody started going, wait a minute. Right. I think uh, there's something here. Hmm. And you, you saw, you know, every people, you know, the firemen will talk, they'll talk at shift change. Hey, we had a cardiac arrest. We had Rosk. What? You had Rosk again. Hmm. You know, right now we're seeing 50% Rosk. On our patients, that's unbelievable. What we're doing, you know. So, which leads me into 
to our numbers of 2019 when yeah. we uh, when we did this. Is was, that okay if it goes over it, Steve? You yeah. love numbers. Yeah, you love numbers, don't I'm you? All, I'm all for it. There's a timeline, but go ahead, Corey. I know we're. I, I'm talking, but no, 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 no. no. This, it's all Corey's fault. It's, it's my conflict that I'm adding to yeah. it. <laughs> Ninety-three total cardiac arrest. We had thirty-eight percent ROSC, thirteen percent survivability. Two thousand nineteen. Wow. We had twelve survivors. Twelve survivors. This quarter, right now, that we're on the first quarter. This is amazing. We had twenty-seven cardiac arrests. Out of those twenty-seven, fourteen were dead, dead on arrival. We didn't even work them. But out of that 13%, we had 100% ROSC. Five of them walked out of the hospital. Wow. Neurologically intact. That's Every a, viable patient. 38% that survivability. That came as a, a cardiac arrest. 38% in the first quarter this year. What do you attribute to the increase in cardiac arrests? Just population? Yeah. Population. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're on track to... Probably over 100 cardiac arrests this year. So from the time that you guys started implementing this to today, have you changed or tweaked anything? We worked on the small things that, that matter. Um, you know, are there issues with the auto pulse? Yes, there are. Um, so how do you troubleshoot that? Like getting all the clothing off of that, that person, because if you have the clothing on, the auto pulse is going to stop. So it's working on those mm. things. You know how you go on a, on a call and it can be a shit show and, you know, it's very chaotic. And yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I tell the guys, hey, just breathe through your eyelids, man. Just breathe through your eyelids. Think about what we're doing. And we worked on those little bitty things that matter in the grand scheme of survivability sure. with yeah. these patients. Yeah, and, and really just, I'm sure, just really like, uh, uh, you know, hey, but we want the first guy off grabbing this thing instead right. of this thing now. Yep. Like I'm sure mm -hmm. just little tweaks like that. Yep. Oof. That's what we work on. What would, um, I guess to maybe, uh, I'm not sure if we're, if we're even there yet, but like what would be, besides equipment, what would be the biggest change from the way we learned how to work a cardiac arrest to right now what, what Naperville and, and Edwards Hospital System is doing um, in terms of, uh, uh, I guess, just timeline to, like, what you guys are doing right off the bat on a, on a call? Slowing down. Yeah. Totally slowing down. You know, we, we talk about speed, and speed is important when we're talking about trauma. You know, there's nothing we can do out in the field. We can maybe put a tourniquet on them or whatever. If they're bleeding, they need to go and have surgery. So when we talk about speed... Yes. But when we talk about cardiac arrests, speed is our enemy because we, we get off the chest and, and bad things start happening to that patient. Their, ch their best chance of survivability is right there right now. So slow it down. Think about what we're doing. Get the auto pulse on. Get all those things. Now look at your patient B paramedics. Look at your H's and T's and figure out why is this patient in cardiac arrest? What can I do to affect the survivability of this patient? What can I do as a paramedic now? Yeah, I mean, again, it was, I, again, back when I was a real paramedic, like we would, you know, going back to what you said, you know, it was always about like our on scene to at the hospital time. That was a big time, you know, for us it was, oh, we got there and we were at the hospital in 13 minutes. Um, and like, and again, everyone would get all popped up about the cardiac arrest calls. And, and I mean, for all intents and purposes, it seems like cardiac arrest is like, it's a big call. It's an important call, but there wasn't really a lot of thought behind working a cardiac arrest 
back when we were younger. You know, you did epi you, or you pushed epi. You interpreted. You really it just did go through the motion. Yeah, like there really yeah. wasn't too much thought behind it. We were like we knew that the H's and T's were a thing. When I first started, it was you know, I worked in towns that were all two flats and bungalows, and it was snatch the guy, put him in the chair, and run him out to the ambo. Yep. We're gonna we're, we do this in the ambo. We don't mm-hmm. do this in their house. Right. Nobody's family member wants us to see the being done what we're gonna we're about to do you know yeah it's uh, it can be barbaric right especially with the auto pulse going it is or barbaric. when they see you busting out the io yeah and you they see somebody taking a drill taking to out their, a dewalt drill and just <laughs> yeah yeah so we taught our our membership hey you got to have those hard conversations with those family members um and the biggest thing is their best chance of survival is right now mm-hmm. with these people right now you know you're gonna have to get them out of the room talk to them um, but our membership does a really great job with tackling that uh, very sensitive topic. These numbers right speak for themselves. Yeah, it's uh, phenomenal, and it's and it's not nothing that I'm I'm doing. I was I was a small part of that. Um, it's the men and women that have embraced the change, and they see the benefit of um, that change with these people that are walking out of the hospital. I mean, back in 2019, at the end of the year, we had a survivors banquet. How many times do people come to the firehouse and knock on the door? Uh, maybe once and say, "Hey, you saved my life." Mm-hmm. You know, here's some cookies. You know, still waiting, right? You know, um, still still. Waiting. Well, they came to the firehouse, Fred. <laughs> you just were never there. Yeah, and those cookies, they got eaten. <laughs> they yeah. got eaten. No, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but it, it was important for the crews to be able to meet these people and hear their stories. Uh, it brought a full circle for them to shake their hand. Uh, it was it was super emotional. Oh yeah, for 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 our companies to do, but it was it was a positive thing for them, and we just didn't do, you know, the the companies. We brought in dispatch that handled the call, and we brought in the hospital staff that dealt with that patient in the hospital. So it was a it was a huge uh, celebration of life for these people, and it was amazing night and they still talk about that they still talk about billy is is hypothermic treatment part of your protocol for you guys no it is not um you know we were trying to do that but there is it's it's hard to do that it really is in in the field to do it right to do it right well i mean yeah i don't know you'd have to get special equipment Mm -hmm. or you mean just dumping as many ice packs as you can on top of somebody all all five uh, yeah (laughs) and maybe the engine company's got two that they didn't break uh Maybe if we got a Yeti cooler that was as big as a person, uh, we can put them in there. Yeti, uh, Yeti would be a good spot. Yeti. Hey, Yeti, <laughs> we're, we're looking for more spots. <laughs> uh, the, uh, yeah, and, and again, it helps, like you were saying, it, it helps you, it helps the membership buy into that. And that's something that, that when we were talking to Clog about, like there was, you know, you, which you, you played the slow hand very well, you know, like you, you just, you built a team, you built that team and you had enough people that were, like you said, they were subject matter experts. You had your PMD, you had, um, you know, you had your, your fire chiefs that were able to kind of bag you on this and just slowly built this movement from nothing. And you saying you didn't have that big of a part of it is probably a crock of shit. But, <laughs> but the fact that you, that you say it, you know, is a testament to you being a, a pretty humble, good dude about it. Um, well, if again, I have a heart attack, I want to uh, drag me to Naperville. Oh, God. <laughs> 
again, it's, it's inevitable, the, really. One of the best places in the country to not only live, <laughs> to have a heart attack, right? But to live after dying, yeah, that's right. There you go, not only to to live, but to die <laughs> right, as well. Right. Yeah. So now yeah. we've implemented all this change with Naperville Fire and EMS, and you guys are having success, uh, and you're having banquets with people who are alive that may have not have been alive before. How did you end up in Denver recently? Well, I built those relationships with, with Zoll. Um, you know, they're, they're subject matter experts. You know, we're using their products, which led me to... Uh, get involved with um, the ACR Consortium, um, which is fantastic. It's a movement that is changing the way we do cardiac arrests, right? Do you think we get kickback from other departments? Yes, we do. Um, AHA, ACLS, you know, they've taught us this is how we do it, right? And they're, they're a huge organization, and this is the way people do it. Um, has but, AHA changed the, the way that they, they're teaching their protocols? Slowly. Okay. They are. Who, who makes up ACR? ACR. So we do have a board um, of individuals. We have Joe Powell, who's retired from Rialto Fire Department. Uh, we have Josh Smith from Richland, Washington. James Hempstead from Richland, Washington. And... Um, we have Kevin Joles from Lawrence, Douglas, Kansas, and Zoll obviously involved in that. And we have about 40 departments right now that have implemented ACR. And our, our goal is to help teach, inform, and change the way we do ACLS. Do we want to become an AHA or no, we don't want to be that type of organization that big because then you get kind of locked in and you're not able to change. Because something will come along down the line that'll say, hey, this will improve survivability of cardiac arrest. We want to be able to shift and be able to implement those things into this system that we're doing and affect positive outcomes. It's not about our skills. It's about the positive outcomes of ACR. So that's how I got involved. Um, you know, my, my training background and be able to speak uh, in front of public People, I guess, is uh, uh, is good. I'm I'm able to um, do that and be effective at creating change. So that's kind of my mojo. I go in and say, how how do you implement this on your fire department? How do you affect change positively? And so that's how you ended up. Is Denver? You've gone other places other than just Denver. Yes. And you, this group, you guys kind of travel the country. We do. And then uh, how does? Uh, how do I, what do I want to say? How, how do you, how do you get invited? Who's in, who's getting in contact with you and in, inviting you to come out in your group to, to speak on this subject? Yeah. The, the fire departments that have seen blurbs or read articles, you know, we were just published in EMS one case study on, on what we did. Uh, we get a lot of people reaching out to us saying, Hey, how do you do this? We're interested. We want to make a change in the way we're doing cardiac arrests. And we get them, um, you know, uh, connected with the right people from Zoll, um, from our ACR consortium. We get them plugged into that. We have quarterly meetings that they can listen in on, ask questions. And then they'll usually set up uh, a workshop where we come out and we demonstrate what we do. And then we try to give them 
the tools and the resources to make that change. We know how hard it is. You know, how do you deal with your PMD? You know, how do you buy the equipment? How do you collect your data? Um, all those things. We help them through that. And then we just give continued support throughout. Well, in, uh, you know, going off topic here for a second, what do you feel that because that we're moving to things like iGels and we just left uh, our King Airways for iGels uh, where Steve and I work, are we losing the the skill to innovate in the field? And is is it a skill that you think that you don't mind losing? That's a great question. Innovation has its place. But that also is a diminishing skill. It is. It is. And we we're, don't. We're like, I, when we first went to iGels, we still had the ability to intubate if we wanted to. And I was doing it as often as I could to keep my skills. But now the, the process is different because if I want to still keep the protocols that you guys institute, I'm going to have to intubate without the guy stopping doing compressions. And that, that's, a, that's a tough skill in and of itself. But I, I don't want to lose that skill for events like a downed fireman, you know, that where you may have one shot at an ET tube before that airway swells up or allergic reaction or something like that, where an ET tube is going to be the definitive airway. I had a I had an eight year old girl having an asthma attack at five thirty in the morning and you know, we got caught it was an asthma attack and we pull up and she ain't breathing and dad's running her out to the ambulance. I need to intubate that you do. <laughs> I need to know you do. I have to have that skill set to intubate that that right. person, you know, and luckily we were successful with that. That's great. But you know look at uh, look at CPAP, for example. That's a great tool for us, right? What did we have to do for those patients in the past? We had to try to innovate them, right? And when we innovated those patients, um, the outcome for those patients weren't very good, right? It was hard to get them off the vent in the hospital, and the outcome wasn't, wasn't great. And then CPAP comes along, right? Now we're not innovating these patients anymore. We're putting them on CPAP, and we're seeing really positive outcomes for these patients. I'm not saying innovation is a dying skill. We need innovation. You know, we give our paramedics um, the ability, if, if you feel like this patient needs to be intubated that's in cardiac arrest, you intubate the patient. We don't take it away from them, but what we don't want it to do is to impede what they need the most, which is CPR. Can you intubate a patient that's having CPR? Yes, you can. It takes training, troubleshooting that, how to do it. You know, if you have to stop, know the parameters of what we're doing. As long as we're on the same page of what we're doing, you can intubate that patient. Just don't let it impede what they need the most, which is CPR. For me, the, the, now that we have capnography, that gives me a little peace of mind when I do intubate yes. that I get instant feedback that my tube is good. Yes, yeah, so, most definitely. You know, it, before it was, it would, you know, if you intubated the wrong place, it may be a while before you realize you'd wait for that stomach to blow up or because people don't understand that you can you can hear the what appears to be lung sounds when you're listening over the lung even though that you've uh, intubated the esophagus because you're 
that that sound is yeah. you can hear it through the lungs. Yeah. So you may think, oh, I'm good, but you're not. And it, until this person's belly is blown up beyond belief that hey, maybe I got maybe I th this tube is no good. And so with capnography now, that is hundred percent accuracy. That is a huge yeah. tool. Yeah. Right. Oh, away. totally. Totally, it's great. Yeah. But you know, I I do think that we are losing that skill as paramedics just because of, you know, an eye gel is so easy to do and it, you don't have to interrupt compressions. You know, you also put a capnography on and then and you're going to get the same numbers as you would if you right. intubated this person. Yep. And uh, you know, I I agree. I I I would rather be intubating the patients. Because capnography is so important, right? Eye gel, you look at it. I, I understand the speed and, you know, but we're still preaching people to slow it down, right? Um, so how do, you, how, do you, how do you work that in? You know, um, intubating the patient is great. You're going to get better capnography readings for sure. Eye gel has some issues with the seal of getting it in, you know, covering that, uh, um, you know. The upper airway. The upper airway, yeah. thank you. No. <laughs> Corey, what you wow, hey. guess who's an expert now? <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> when's the last time you yeah. touched an ET tube? Ooh, it's been a bit. To, to hand it to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I said I wanted an eight. So to get back to your question about are we losing that skill, we might be. But how do we combat that when we actually need to, to do it? Do we, do we have fires every day? No, we don't. Um, but we train on it for sure, you know, and this is no different. You know, so I'll be saying with IVs and IOs, right? Yeah. I mean, guys, we, we talk about all the time how we used to EJ guys. You know, oh, yeah. We, yeah. We you mean used like, to. <laughs> right. Uh, right. <laughs> all right. Um, well, uh, here's a hot button topic for me and Vince. What are your thoughts, feelings, and whatever facts you have collected on video laryngoscopy? I, I think it's great. You know, I've used it several times. Um, any tool that's going to make it easier for me to intubate that patient, everybody's different, right? The anatomies are different. They could be anterior, whatever. Uh, if I can see that, that, that's great. But I'm also a firm believer that, you know, when you're using equipment like that, it malfunctions. It oh, absolutely. doesn't work. Yeah. So you better know how to intubate that patient and how to do it old school way mm -hmm. if those things happen. Well, that's right? like, you know, I, when I first, my first day at the firehouse, you know, I was assigned to an ALS truck. Now, granted, it was a slow truck, but one of the old timers was showing me how to start the saw, you know, and I had heard this in the past, but he's just reinforcing. He goes, this is a mechanical thing. It'll fail when you need it the most. This might not start. And then he handed me a pickhead ax and he goes, this always starts. And I went, okay. And he goes, now go give me a hundred swings on the <laughs> railroad tie in the back. <laughs> and I went, all right, okay. All right. <laughs> you know, uh, but it's same, a tool, same. right? Yeah. It's a tool. Yeah. And you, you think it works well? Is it, you know, it's, it's something that makes it easier. And if you had funds to buy that, do you have them in Naperville? We do. We do. Oh, you guys do? We do. Okay. So there, there you go. We, they we, have them. Is that a first sign? I'm just trying to make a point used. to all my other <laughs> listeners out there that know what I'm talking about. It, we give them the option. Okay. You know, you can. Whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. We just try to give them as many tools as they possibly can to get the job done Use in a positive manner. Use for you as long yes. as you got. Yes. Yeah. What, what would you say to a department 
that uh, had funds to purchase equipment that makes things easier, but they're getting pushback from the system. What would you, how would you, what would you tell that department to? How'd you navigate? Yeah. How would they navigate that? Like in regards to our auto pulse or just in general? In general. In in general. general. Um, Well, that's a great question too. Um, Just, I guess you have to go back to your data. Data drives everything. You have to show why we're wanting to go to this. Look at our numbers. Look at our numbers system-wide. You know, we had to do that with, you know, the eye gel. Look at our, uh, we weren't very good at intubating the patients. Mm-hmm. So, especially in cardiac arrest. So, we had to show that data, say, we think that this is a great alternative to intubating the patient and getting back on the chest so it's it's always data driven. They they want to know the numbers. They want to know the hard facts of why we're doing it. Just be you know, going to your PMD saying, well, this sucks, and you know we want to go to this. It's not going to fly. Right. You know. I I think um you know when you kind of touched on it earlier was was building that team, and I think unfortunately, and I I know I'm super guilty of it all the time is that I kind of come out relatively aggressive to a new idea where it's like this is what we should be doing you know right. like why it's like well because you know this and like not you know not spending the time to find you know going back to it like those subject matter experts like don't you don't have to believe me believe this guy you know right. believe the guy who um you know believe the guy from phoenix arizona who implemented this program over here and they you know have pretty good success with it or whatever and like building the team instead of being a dickhead like me and getting really aggressive <laughs> about stuff that you're passionate about um you know what let's uh keep we're right to take a quick break and uh, we'll go uh we'll tune up this guitar and <laughs> we'll you're, it, you're lucky Billy, because i'm i'm getting ready to come into the studio and i'm getting texts being like anybody got a guitar around his man i'm like what what are, what oh are my you God. so you lucked out that none of us have guitars I or, uh, or, yeah, or this yeah, would be yeah. not acoustic time. one at least. Oh yeah, we'd be this sitting be down. Song time, right? There you go. We'll All right, we'll Kumbaya. be back in a minute. We're gonna take a break. Uh, you guys can listen uh, about our lovely sponsors. Hey guys, uh, you know what? We're just gonna talk a minute about this awesome beer we've been drinking from Illuminate Brew Works. Um, right now, I'm I'm drinking Trust and. Uh, this thing is it's just a really good lager um we're going we're kind of running the gauntlet here we got some uh we got some awesome beer here so we're just running through each one of them uh i tried vince you tried that orange sunshine too right orange sunshine is my new favorite summer beer yeah. thanks to brian at illuminated brew works if you guys are looking for an amazing craft beer and you know i'm not a big craft beer guy and i was a little hesitant and then when we started popping yeah. these things open uh it was like Christmas. Yeah, we we've been firing pretty good on these we, things. <laughs> we, we, we've been going through these. Yeah, like so, crazy. Bar Chicago's bravest stories is doing all right over here. Right. Well, the Illuminated Brew Works beer has saved us from drinking all the whiskey that we have here because uh, we've been drinking more beer than we have whiskey. It might not even it. be whiskey guys anymore. Yeah. Um. And uh, that Creeper one was pretty good too, right? Once Creeper was it. good. And we're fresh out of astronaut juice. In yeah. There. If we had astronaut juice, that is my top one. Uh, from these guys. If you're looking for an amazing craft beer, you can find it at Benny's Norwood Park Wine and Spirits Beer Temple, which is right down the street here from the studio. 
So if you're uh, picking up some Illuminated Brewworks at Beer Temple, stop in, have a drink with us. Bottle and cans, uh, Capones, Totos, and Ryan's, Rayans, R-A-Y-A-N-S. Yeah, these are all bars they're selling in. And uh, you guys would notice it for sure once you walk in because they've got some really cool artwork on each of their cans. Um, so, again, just, just look for the, the eye-popping uh, artwork that you're going to see, and they'll kind of lead you over it. Again, this is Illuminated Brew Works. Make sure to check out anything that they've made so far because everything I've tried has been awesome. Oh, it, it's really good. If you go to uh, that place, Wine Styles, at 6182 North Northwest Highway, you can pick it up. And coincidentally, that is right next door to where the new – Brew Pub is going to be. Illuminated Brewworks is opening up a brew pub at 6186 North Northwest Highway. It's going to be amazing. The beer is amazing. And we are also asked to mention that the new Brony is coming back out. It's a double hop IPA. So for you IPA guys, the Brony is coming back. But the the beers that he has in stock right now are amazing. Uh, Illuminated Brew Works. Thanks, Brian, again for uh, you know keeping us in beer here. And you know when our guests come in and stuff like that, we give it to them as well. And we've heard nothing but great things from uh, our guests who've uh, walked out of here with a four pack of uh, Illuminated Brew Works. Thanks, guys. Again, make sure to check them out. Illuminated Brew Works. button let's hit this button all right billy we're back number one we wanted to give you the opportunity i know you have some speaking engagements coming up if you want to give us those dates and if there's a department that's listening that wants to move in this direction um i'm sure you'd be more than happy to offer some guidance oh on, totally uh, progressing toward uh you know increased survivability basically so yep. you know let us know about your engagements and then where people can reach you yeah uh i'll be speaking on september 2nd up at mundelein fire department uh along with uh, zoll medical uh they're hosting the event i'll be speaking with joe powell who is uh, again retired uh, ems chief from rialto i call him the godfather of ACR. Mm. He's, he's unbelievable. Great speaker, very dynamic. And uh, I'll be speaking on how to implement this in your department, um, you know, creating positive change, all, all those things, all those buzzwords that I get questions on all the time. Awesome. So you can find that. I'll, I'll, I'll forward you guys the information on, yep, on we'll, that info. We'll, we'll put it up for you. And we'll, and we'll put you up, put it up for me. And then, um, uh, my contact information, you can contact me directly at my email address, which is billycroft at sbcglobal.net. Uh, that's my personal email. So That's an okay email, too. That's an, <laughs> I'm surprised I don't have an I have, AOL I account. Have, I have AOL. Oh. And you're an old guy. Oh, <laughs> wait, it's not anymore. Yeah. That's, yeah, my dad still has like a Hotmail account. Oh. That's awesome. That is awesome. But I'd, I'd love to talk to you if you have any questions on, on this, and I can point you in the right direction and get you in. Well, you know, while you were uh, giving out that information, I was just thinking that if you're a department that does not want to move to a system that increases survivability, if you, uh, if you have residency and your family lives in the area that you're currently working, you could be one of the, the numbers that you want to have survive. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you, you brought that up because in my presentation, I talk about that. I put a picture of my family up 
up there. Mm-hmm. And I say, we all got one, right? It could be defunctional, dysfunctional, whatever it is, but it's your family. And I would want the very best for my family. If, if, if my dad or my mom or, or someone in my family had a cardiac arrest, I would want that department responding to have all the tools, all the equipment, all the knowledge, all the science, whatever it is, to affect survivability of my loved one. And we tend to forget that, right? right. Because we put up this wall all the time. Um, we don't want to know what, what's happening because, hey, I got to run the next call, right? Mm. Well, I think that's a bunch of bull crap. Uh, it's good to know. It's good to get that feedback that what I'm actually doing is making a difference in a positive manner. I like how you put it to it. Like, oh, if you want to, if you want to increase survivability in your town, like, nah, I'm out. I don't want to prove that. <laughs> well, you, 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 could, you, that. you hear it all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's too expensive. We don't want to do the training. You know, since we, we have, just need all we need is more ambulances. Yeah, that's you know, oh yeah, which we ambulances. do. I'm not saying that places don't need more ambulances, but just throwing more boxes out there is not going to solve survivability rate problems and all that other stuff. Well, Billy. Have you gotten the argument that using something like an auto pulse is changing manpower for your department? No, no. Um, I think that's a weak argument. Uh, I really do. You know, uh, we're not replacing. We still need bodies, right? We still need people to put the auto pulse on somebody. We're still professional paramedics, firefighters. Um, you need those people. I'm never advocating of reducing our our workforce. Uh, if anything, we need to increase it. Yeah, for well, sure. Stephen has it. Union Stewart. Would you think that you would get that pushback? That I, I've heard. I've heard that argument out there before, and I'm with Billy on this. It's a bunch of crap. Uh, just because we're adding a new piece of technology to replace hands-on CPR. That piece of technology is performing high-performance CPR, which statistically, as Billy said, by numbers, is outperforming humans, okay? So, but we still need individuals to help move that person, perform other skills. You know, I mean, transporting these people from where they are to the ambulance becomes a whole thing in and of itself, you know, so we still need those bodies. And the other thing is, we're not just doing CPR out there. Right. Okay. We still have to extricate people out of vehicles. We still have to respond to structure fires, water rescue incidents, technical rescue incidents. You know, there's still, uh, there's other reasons to maintain the manpower other than just, okay, well, you don't need that additional firefighter on the rig because now you have an auto pulse. Well, the auto pulse doesn't make the roof. Okay, and it doesn't extricate people out of vehicles, and it doesn't scuba dive. So take that argument and stick it, because it ain't gonna fly here. All it does is, <laughs> all it does is do perfect compressions, right? We still have to think. We have to be thinking paramedics. Uh, what's going on with this patient? You know, um, so we need those people. It just frees us up to do other important things. It just mm. takes us out of that, and you know, we can we can do other. What cool, about cool stuff. for those people who say that the auto pulse is the first step of machines taking over the world? <laughs> it's 
Skynet. Now that I agree. They're going to become aware, and we're in a. Now we're putting our lives in the hands of machines. Is this the first step, Bill? It is the first step. All right, Corey. So let them have it. It's been a little bit. Wait. Okay. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Billy, my thing is uh, stepping on my dick the whole time. I'm a goofball. I'm a goofball. My big thing is like. Um, it's like the firehouse prank. So you, you got to, I mean, you, you boys out there, you probably get a little weird, right? Oh yeah. When you're oh, not yeah. saving lives. When you're not what are you increasing doing to other, survivability. I love to have fun. You know, anytime, you know, the guys will tell you on the fire department, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm the biggest ball buster there is out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love doing that. That's uh, a great tradition on the fire department, mm-hmm. you know, just messing with people. And, oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh. I, I do some crazy stuff sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's what's the best one you got? What's the best one? Or you saw? Maybe you weren't a part of it. No, I was a part of it. <laughs> no, I was definitely part. I, of it. I definitely was a part of it. Uh, we had a uh, our captain of the house. This is when I was, you know, blue shirt. Uh-huh. You know, just nothing. And uh, um, someone that you guys know, but I'm not going to bring his name into it because now he's a chief. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> but he was uh, he was a hellraiser too. Um, he had. Uh, he was off one day, and we had a fire, and he showed up at the fire, and he was videotaping the fire. All right. So the next shift, he comes in, and he shows us this this footage of the fire, and it was really great. Mm-hmm. So me and this other individual were sitting in the office. It was late, and we saw the video camera there. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so we fast-forwarded all the way to the end of the fire footage. And for 10 minutes straight, it was just focused on my bare butt <laughs> and me slapping it. <laughs> for, for 10 minutes. All right. So the next morning, and we fast forwarded, you know, back to the, to right. the spot. You right. know. So the next morning, he got up and we're like, hey, man, what, what are you going to do today? He's like, well, I'm going up to the staff to show him this fire footage. <laughs> and we're like, oh, my God. We didn't say anything. Right. We just let it ride. Yeah, what are you? <laughs> just let it ride. So it's you know it's those things and just you know messing with just the the, th- the thought of him being so excited to show them. Yes, you some know, bare ass. He's like, this and then is this gonna, white pasty gonna, this butt. Be so good. And he shows it to him. And it just... Did you have deniability? There's no distinguishing marks that would right. separate. Okay. Yes. No. No Bud Light no, tattoo. No. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. Name tattoo that everybody knows. No. No. Uh, there was a mole on the left butt cheek. Uh, we're going to need everybody to come in and drop their trowel. And... Well, Billy, uh, thank you so much. Well, hold, on, hold on, hold on, oh, hold on. Let's oh, not, oh. let's not. We've alluded to the fact a couple times, but let's not gloss over the fact that Billy is also a country music superstar. Now, I was trying to help you out here, <laughs> Billy. Internet but video we got sensation. <laughs> you did a cover of... Uh, Florida Georgia Line song. Yes, in it, f- bef- it, it in the beginning or towards the middle of COVID. Right. How did that come come along? Because I have the video. Oh. Uh, it's been shared on the internet off the Naperville Fire Department's Facebook. Oh, you ten thousand gotcha. viewers. It's been shared a hundred and nineteen times. Uh, how did that come along? What what made you decide to write a song about it? Well, I, I didn't come up with the idea. Um, Soraya, our public education specialist, she called me up and said, hey, do you think you could um, 
you know, maybe just get your guitar and write a song about, you know, wearing your mask and, and all that. And I go, okay. So I just sat down for 10 minutes and, you know, Florida Georgia Line, get your shine on. I'm like, well, get your mask on. All right. So I just wrote some, <laughs> some words to it and sat on the bumper of the, the engine and, and recorded myself. And, and that was it. You know, um, I didn't think it would get that many views or, um, uh, it was, it was kind of crazy. So you just I thought you had a lot of relatives, huh? I guess <laughs> <laughs> my dad watched it 10,000 times. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun to do, you know, just, you know, you, you try to bring awareness to, you know, it was a tough, tough year, you know, doing, doing all that stuff. And I, I don't care about your view or, uh, what you think about COVID or whatever, um, you know, we, we see a different perspective being in the front line and, and, and dealing with it. So, um, you know, if, if it helps, then, then do it. You know, right. um, I enjoy not wearing my mask right now. But, <laughs> it uh, is nice. Um, it is nice. You know, all that fun stuff. But. So you're, you're in a band though. Yeah. Yeah. I was in our band was together for 11 years. Uh, Billy Croft and the five alarm. Oh, um, and uh, we were hot and heavy there for a long time playing country music, and uh, I've been in and out of Nashville. I'm a songwriter also, wow. uh, writing songs. Um, my album, you can find it on iTunes. I um, apparently I just found what's the this name out. of the album? Uh, Billy Croft. Billy Croft. Yeah, it was just self-titled. Come on. And uh, apparently, I just found this out the other day. I have a Spotify channel. I have oh. no idea. So you. My, Stumbled into being like ten times more popular than uh, we are. And you're like, oh, well, I don't really care. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> just have a Spotify. And, and Steve's trying like really hard to make this important. <laughs> if anybody out there knows how to get us a blue check mark right. on Facebook, uh, <laughs> please message me because yeah, we're having a hard time here. Uh, but you know, it's it's. I, I enjoy playing music. It's yeah. just one of those outlets. I know it's so important for us to have outlets. Being oh, firefighters yeah. to do something, not live and breathe. You know, the fire service. Um, yeah, it gets it's it can be pretty tough doing that, but uh, have an outlet and music was my outlet. I love working out, you know, exercising and and all that stuff, keeping myself healthy. I want to enjoy my retirement when I when I retire. Yep. Um. So how much longer are you gonna stick around? Uh, probably four more years. Yeah. I'll get to my thirty. Uh, again, you know, hopefully, I'm I'm just hoping I get promoted. That'd be great. Um, add to my bottom line. You know, when I when how I retire. How long do you have to be in rank? Uh, three years. Three years? Three years. So it's there you go. right there. You, you got it's, it all worked out. right there. Yeah, Let us know when you retire. We'll come out. Oh, that would be great. We'll I'd hang love out to have you guys. Is, is, the, is the band still together? Uh, our last gig is August 12th. Okay. Or, or, I'm sorry, August 13th. That's a retirement for one of our guys who, who's been on 30 plus years. And um, he's he loves our band. And, you know, COVID kind of really stuck it to us you know we were doing anywhere from you know 50 to over 100 shows a year oh wow <clears throat> side job in itself it was and uh you know covid kind of shut that down and um i really focused my energies into other places yeah like uh, advanced cardiac resuscitation and uh that has been super rewarding i love music i still love it but you know it, it it's kind of played out <laughs> you know, I don't miss all the drunk people going, Hey, can you play a wagon right, wheel? Right. Free bird. <laughs> right. Right. No, thank you. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and bars are fun when you're not forced to go. Yeah. 
yeah, just you know staying up that late. Mm-hmm. It's work at that point. Yeah. You know, I'm mm-hmm. an old dude. You know. <laughs> well, you, you wrap it up. Yeah, wrap you got it. any more? No, that's it. Not, you, you guys are allowed to close the show now. Are we? Well, all right, yeah. Billy. Thank you again so much for being here. Yeah, Bill, thank uh, you. Very eye-opening on how we are not doing CPR and how we are not working these cardiac arrests the proper way or the best way. So thanks again. Give out that email one more time, and we definitely want you to give out that Spotify address so that people... Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. I don't even know. Just look Billy Croft up, and it'll, it'll pop up, you know? You bring this guy out of retirement, everyone, uh, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. So uh, contact info, uh, Billy Croft at sbcglobal.net and uh, yeah give me your phone number and your email and I'll uh, I don't want to give out my phone number because you know I got a lot of stalkers oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, know, all seven people who listen to this are going to be I'm kind of a big deal I, no, I was going to say I'm not I'm not, I... I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. well so. thank you again uh, we appreciate you being here that's Chicago's Bravest Stories Thanks for listening to the show, everybody. Uh, don't forget to visit our website, www.chicagosbravestories.com, www.chicagosbravest.com. Uh, hit up the podcast shop, pick up some merchandise. All the merchandise that uh, purchased off of our website 100% helps fund the show, which we provide to you free of charge. Uh, we'd like to thank our listeners. We are very close to over 100,000 downloads, uh, Chicago's Bravest Stories. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter accounts, uh, and check out the Fire and Iron Media Facebook page where you can find shows like The Popo Report, uh, Quantum Pulse, the uh, commercial real estate podcast, Department 3C, Designated Drinkers, and... Ooh, our new one? Our new one. What's the name of it? I don't know. Oh, dang. Uh, well, we'll post it Behind Our Door. Ooh, Behind Our Door, is that what a it is? mental health podcast. Welcome, welcome to the group. Yeah. Welcome to the group. So, thanks. Um, what about uh, First Financial? Uh, first Responder Financial Clarity when he decides to come back in the studio. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>